All right, so telescopes. Telescopes uh, come in a wide variety of objects. They're not just the typical telescope that you think of, perhaps. You know, a big mirror pointed towards the sky collecting light. You might be thinking something similar to these that are down here. Um, those are telescopes. Within each of these domes, there is a large mirror uh, in a support structure that can be pointed at different parts of the sky to gather light and study astronomical objects. Certainly another example of that is the Hubble Space Telescope, which is pictured here up in orbit. There's a large mirror down here that gathers light. Has a great advantage in that it's up above the atmosphere. So, yay, we don't have to look through the atmosphere, which blurs out everything and has things like clouds and rain and all sorts of stuff that, that cause problems. But there's also other kinds of telescopes that we'll talk about. Probably get to those tomorrow, but things like radio telescopes to look at radio waves uses a different kind, a little bit different mechanism. And in order to study things like infrared and ultraviolet and x-rays and gamma rays, we need slightly different mechanisms to be able to look at them. So the telescopes don't always look the same as you change the wavelengths. A uh, radio telescope, for example, will look like a big mirror, except it looks more like a big satellite dish. Right? And tremendous in size. You know, great big mirrors there might be 10 or 12 meters across. That's pretty big, right, as it is. You know, that, that's the size of this room for just the mirror. That's pretty big. But when we look at radio telescopes, you'll get things that are 100 meters across. So 100 meters the size of a football field. So you've got a football field you're steering, turning back and forth. That's about the largest, largest one that you can actually steer. And there's an even larger one I'll show you that's about 300 meters across. That one can't be steered. That's actually built into, a mountain, into the valley of mountains and just can only look pretty much straight up. It can see whatever passes straight overhead. But telescopes aren't just you know, the little uh, either lenses that Galileo had or mirrors that are pretty much used today. So in this section we're going to look at optical telescopes first. That's what we're going to work on today. And looking at the different sizes of the telescope um, and what that does, how the size of the telescope helps to improve things. Why do we want bigger and bigger telescopes? Why do astronomers constantly want a larger telescope to be able to see objects? Why is that important? And it actually has more than just one effect. There's actually several things that making a larger telescope will help you with. And part of that is in terms of getting high resolution. Getting, seeing, being able to see a lot more detail out in, in the astronomical objects. You can see more detail. You can actually learn more about the, about the object. And you get that, especially when you get up above the Earth's atmosphere and don't have to look through the Earth's atmosphere anymore. And then what we'll finish up with, probably won't get to till uh, tomorrow, will be radio astronomy, looking at some radio telescopes and some images of those and how that works. And then other astronomies, just meaning x-rays, gamma rays, um, infrared, ultraviolet radiation, all the other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum that we can study that have only been opened up to us relatively recently. So optical telescopes, there's two, two types. There are reflectors and refractors. Reflectors use reflection of light, so light bouncing off of something like this nice mirror here. You've got a nice curved mirror, not a flat mirror like you'd use in a bathroom or something, but a curved mirror actually brings the light to a focus at a point here. All the light coming in from this very distant object bounces off the mirror. The curvature is specially designed, so it brings all of those light from that distant object, that distant star, back to a single point. That's called the focus. 
Now, one of the problems with a reflector is where the, where the image is formed. Right? The image is formed right here. So if I want to look at that image, I've got to put my head right there, which means my head is now blocking a lot of the light. As I try to look at that image, if I'm sitting right in there, I have to block a lot of that light, which makes it difficult. It's not brought to a convenient place. But mirrors do work much better for telescopes than lenses, especially as we get to larger and larger ones, for a couple of good reasons, one of which, when you worry about a mirror, I only have to worry about one side. It doesn't really matter what's going on over here. This can be all bumpy and lumpy and everything. The light never sees it, so it doesn't have to be optically smooth. I can put lots of stuff behind it to hold it up. So I can put a great big support mechanism behind it to steer it. And there are ways around this little bit of a problem in that you can put little mirrors in there that block out a little bit of light and then bring that light to another focus. And we'll look at some of those different types coming up here. But reflecting is one. Reflecting telescope uses a mirror. All the light comes in, bounces off, and is brought to a focus. The other type is a refracting telescope uses a lens. So lens like glasses or uh, Galileo small telescope uses a very tiny lens which do the same thing that the telescope, that the mirror did essentially. Takes all the light coming from the distant object out there, bends it, and bends it. The lens is shaped perfectly so that sometimes you bend, parts of it bend it a little bit more, parts of it let the light straight through, bends a little bit, little bit here, bends a little bit more here, and brings all of the light from all parts of the lens to a specific focus. Now, one of the problems that you get with refracting telescopes is what else happens when you send light through a prism that we just did in spectroscopy, right? The glow of the star. What happens to the colors? If you send when you when you send light through like a spectroscope that we were just talking. Yeah, it separates the colors. So what this means is that when you send the light through here, you're going to bend the red light a little bit and you're going to bend the blue light a little bit more. So it's not going to all focus at quite the same spot. You're actually going to get a different focus for red light than you get for blue light, which kind of throws, makes things a little more difficult. So one of the problems with reflecting telescopes is that they are really like a couple of prisms put together and that spreads the lights out into the color of the rainbow in addition to bringing it to a focus. So there's an additional problem there with refracting telescopes. And if you've ever looked through a refracting telescope, they're usually very, usually very small. A lot of the ones that you find nowadays are the little cheapy ones that you get, you know, discount store ones sell. And if you ever look through them, you'll see the star will come to a focus, but it'll have like a red halo around it or a blue halo around it. And really what you're seeing is this effect that you're bending the lights, the light differently. So you're bending the light a little bit more or a little bit less by color. So while this one might come, the blue light might come to a focus, the red light might not have been brought to a focus yet and it'll be spread all around that image. And you'll sometimes see that especially when you look at a bright object through a small refracting telescope. Now here's an idea of how you form the image. And if you've ever looked through a telescope, you'll note that the image is always upside down. So you ever looked at a telescope at the moon? And you go and look up at the moon and something looks wrong. You, know, you look at the telescope and you look back up to the moon. 
doesn't work when you're looking at a teeny tiny object, right? If you're looking at a star cluster, well, you can't see the star cluster in the sky. But if you look at the moon, it's flipped upside down. And that is just naturally how these form, how the, the mirror or the lens will form an image. They're always going to flip it up, flip it upside down. And that's shown here. The purple line is from the bottom. If you're getting light from the bottom part of the source, it reflects up to the top. You get light from the top of the source, it reflects down to the bottom. And it just flips everything upside down. So if you were to look at a comet through a telescope, it would be flipped. If you were to look at the moon or any of the planets, they'd be flipped. Really, most of the things you can't tell just because you couldn't see it anyway. Right? If I pull it, we pulled up a star cluster, yeah, all the stars are going to be flipped upside down. But since you can't look at it with your eye and see it, the moon is where people usually get that, get that effect the first time. If you see the moon, because then you glance up and say, something just doesn't seem quite right. I'm looking at it here, and it's one way, and I'm looking at it up there, and it's another. Or if you ever try to use a telescope to look at something on the Earth. You know, point it out at a distant object, it'll work, you can focus it. You know, a distant, a distant building, distant tree, you can actually focus it, and it'll, it'll be upside down. But that's any of the optical telescopes will do that. Astronomers don't really worry about that. Whether it's upside down or not doesn't matter because you can flip it back around. And if you're studying a galaxy, does it really have you know, an up and a down? It's just how we happen to be viewing it. It doesn't have a specific up or down um, as we think about something here. Plus, it's very easy to, at the end, as I said, to, if you want to flip it the other way, you can flip that back around. All right, so here's a comparison of the two. Um, reflecting telescope on the left-hand side, a refracting telescope on the right. So, refracting telescope take, uses two lenses. One lens up here gathers the light, brings it down to a focus, and then you don't look at the focus, you actually bring it to another small lens, the eyepiece, and that's actually what you'd look through. You'd look through the eyepiece. So it actually takes two lenses and in reality, sometimes many more lenses than that. Uh, sometimes an eyepiece is not just a single lens. The very simplest early telescopes were, but many of the other ones actually have you know, compound and have multiple lenses in there to be able to improve the quality. In terms of a reflecting telescope, as I said, you had a problem because you wanted to put your head right where you want to view, right where the image would come is where you want to put your head to look at it. And if you got a big head and a small telescope, you're going to block out a lot of the light. Starlight comes in, reflects off the mirror, bounces back up, in this case, to another little mirror that's angled, and comes out to an eyepiece here where you could be able to comfortably observe. That's what's called a secondary mirror. This is the primary mirror. That's what's gathering your light. This is a secondary mirror, is bringing that light to a place where you can actually see it easily. Now, that does block out a little bit of the light. But when you start talking about very big telescopes and things that are the size of this room, blocking out something with a little mirror, you know, even if it's a foot square, say it's a foot square or a foot round, big, big deal, right? If we're blocking out that little tiny bit of light, you're not even going to notice that much being blocked out. And in fact, some of the larger telescopes, things that are four and five meters across, actually have or ha used to have an observing cage where an observer could ride in it. So you could actually ride up there at the focus, and yet you're still blocking out some amount of light, but compared to the overall area of the telescope, it was still very small. So that's why if you look at the very smallest telescopes, they're all going to be refractors. Because if you want a telescope that's only two or three inches you know, in diameter, it's kind of hard to get that little mirror in there without blocking a big percentage of the light. But when you look at a much smaller, a larger telescope, 
this doesn't matter. So a lot of the larger telescopes, and in fact all the large telescopes built in well, well over 100 years now, have been reflecting telescopes using mirrors. All right, so why are modern telescopes are all reflecting telescopes? And these are some of the different, different reasons. First of all, I mentioned the one already that said that the light is bent differently depending on the wavelength. So that the red light's not going to be bent quite as much as the blue light. That is what we call chromatic aberration. And it's just the, the bending of different colors of light by different amounts. So. Some light's going to be bent a little bit more, the bluer light. Some light's going to be bent a little bit less. And it's not all going to come to the same focus. So that's one problem with refracting telescopes. There are some ways to get around this. If you put specially shaped lenses together, you can eliminate parts of it. But you never get rid of it altogether. So it is one problem with the telescopes, with the refracting telescopes. The second one is that you have a lens. Light travels through that lens. So you have your lens here. As light is traveling through it, it's traveling through a material. The bigger and thicker that lens gets, the more it's going to absorb. It's actually going to absorb out some of the light. Now, typically that doesn't matter. No, I got glasses on. Yes, my glasses, the glass is absorbing a little bit of the light. It's not all making it through to my eye. Do I notice a difference? Not really because the glass is so thin. But when you start about trying to talk about making lenses that are you know, a meter across. Here's my meter stick. There it is. So if I want to make lenses that are this big, which is about the size of the largest one, they're not this thin. You know, they're going to end up being really thick. And that's going to absorb out a lot of light. Well, astronomers are always looking for the faintest objects, trying to view the faintest objects, trying to look at things, trying to get those little tiny, just tiny bits of light to see the faintest objects, you don't want to lose any light in your instrument. So a mirror is not going to do that. A mirror, be something like this, is just reflecting things off a polished surface and isn't going to lose hardly any light. So more light lost here as it passes through the telescope, less light lost as you bounce off the surface. The other problem is that the lens gets very heavy. Okay, big piece of glass. Yeah, mirror gets very heavy too. If I want to mirror a meter across, it's going to be a big heavy piece of glass. But a lens has that disadvantage, right? I can't, if my glasses get bigger and bigger, I still can only support them around the edge. If I have a mirror, a lens that's a meter across, you know, I can't hold it up here to keep it solid. I have to hold it from the edges only. So you can only support it around the edges, and as you get something that's that big, and that heavy, it's going to start to bow under gravity. So it's actually going to be distorted as you move that telescope around and point that lens at different parts of the sky. It's going to be a problem because you can only hold on to it by the edges. If you try to hold on to it back here, you're blocking out the light trying to come through. And again, we want to get as much light as we possibly can. And then finally, I already mentioned the last one a little bit, but a lens needs two. Nice smooth surfaces, meaning that this side coming in 
as the light is hitting it, needs to be ground to the correct shape. This side, as the light is leaving, needs to be ground to the correct shape. Those are both necessary in order to bring the light properly to a focus. On a lens, a mirror, it doesn't matter. What shape this is in the back, it doesn't matter if it's like this or if it's all zigzagged. The light never sees that. So it doesn't make any difference what, that, what the shape of the back part is as long as you grind one side perfect to the perfect shape. Also, what isn't mentioned there is you also don't have to worry about the interior being perfect on a mirror. Right? If I have a big air bubbles scattered throughout here because the glass didn't cool quite right, doesn't make any difference. The light never sees it. The light only sees this front surface. If I've got big air bubbles in this lens, that's going to distort the light coming through it. So you have to have the piece of glass has to be much more optically pure in a refracting telescope than it does in a reflecting telescope. Doesn't matter whether this is all wobbly on one side and you've got a whole bunch of air bubbles in it. It's not an optically pure piece of glass, but as long as this front piece is ground to the right shape, you'll be able to still use it perfectly as a telescope. And every telescope built since about 1897 has been a reflecting telescope. Shouldn't say every telescope. Yes, little one. Every large professional telescope that's been built. The last one built that was a lens was about 40 inches in diameter. So about a meter across. Pretty big lens. That was the, could we build a bigger one now? Sure. Could we build probably one that's twice that size? Certainly our technology has improved a lot since, eight, little, little, little bit since 1897, right? Technology is a little bit different than it was over 100 years ago. But to try to build one that is as big as you know, the optical telescopes, the mirror telescopes that we're using today would, not be, would still not be feasible. So you could build a larger one, but you've got enough other problems that make it to the point that astronomers really do not use reflect, ref, refracting telescopes at all and primarily or use only refra, ref, the ref, only use the reflectors. Now, in terms of that, you can bring the light uh, to focus a number of different ways in a reflecting telescope. There are a couple different things. You can have the prime focus. That's why I said some of the really large telescopes have actually had a cage up there. So astronomer would actually be held up there, could have their instruments and do their observing directly. Not really done much anymore. Uh, typically it's all computer controlled. You can still use the prime focus, but instead of an astronomer actually riding up there with the telescope, those nice observing nights tend to get a little bit cold. I mean, you're trapped up in the top of the telescope for eight, nine, ten hours. It gets a little bit, gets a little bit chilly up there. You can't bring any kind of heaters or anything, because if you try to heat that up, then you're distorting the air coming through and you're distorting your image. So it has to be left open to the night air. But now you can put you know, computer cameras up there and actually get your images directly. In uh, smaller telescopes in some of them that are used, you have different types of ways to bring the light to a focus where you can actually use an eyepiece. Uh, Newtonian focus was one that was developed by Isaac Newton, my guess from the name, that light is brought to a focus. Again, use the big primary mirror, same as you did here. Comes up to a little secondary mirror which is angled and then shoots it off to the side. So now you can actually use a relatively small telescope, might be only you know, five, six, seven inches in diameter here, and you can actually still be able to observe that light very easily. Another one that's done is a Cassegrain focus. Light again comes in, bounces off the mirror, comes up, bounces off your secondary mirror, 
and come straight back down to the primary mirror again. But instead of hitting the mirror, you drill a little hole in the primary mirror and let the light come through down here and bring it to a focus at this point. Now, yeah, you're cutting off some of your collecting area. You're not going to be able to gather quite as much, quite as much light as you would otherwise be able to. But you're also blocking that same light out by putting your mirror in here in the first place. So it's blocked out here, it's blocked out here. It doesn't really make much of a difference. This piece of the telescope is really not useful anyway because no light is getting to it because you have to put a secondary mirror in there in the first place. The other one is actually the coude focus, which is similar to these. Again, it brings light down and back up to a secondary mirror and now to a third mirror that actually sends it off not to an instrument or an eyepiece right here, but can actually send it off to a larger instrument based on the ground. So some very large instruments can't be attached to the telescope. Too heavy would destroy you're trying to move this big heavy instrument weighing a ton, weighing a ton or two, trying to turn it with the telescope. It's not efficient. Putting a nice little camera there, no big deal. You can't, can't, the telescope can handle that. But you can actually send it off. You can send the light out to another uh, room over here that would have your that would house your large instruments. So you can use, use that's used primarily for professional telescopes where they're trying to use some very large instruments and attach those. So several different ways you can get to the light in a reflecting telescope. And prime focus again right in the middle. You have to get back up there or put an instrument up there to observe it. Newtonian or Cassegrain. Newtonian takes it off to the side. Cassegrain brings it right back down to the bottom. And then the Nasmith or the Coudet focus kind of sends it back out. Your instrument isn't attached here as it might be on a Cassegrain. You might put a camera right here at the end or a camera right there or an eyepiece if you're just going to look through it. But the instrument is actually further off in that case. So looking at an example of a telescope, this is the Keck telescope. Um, very interesting shape there. You notice it's not a big spherical shape. It actually has a little honeycomb shape to it. And that's one way of building much larger telescopes. Even when you're building very large mirrors, it gets difficult to get a good piece of glass. I'm sorry, go ahead. A lot of them will have, depending on the instruments you're using, will have several of them. It'll ha it can have a prime focus and a Cassegrain and a Coudé. So some of them will have multiple, will use multiple. Typically, if it's a right, smaller telescope, I don't want to say just amateurs, because some of the large amateur ones may have multiple ways of doing it. But you know, if, just, if you're buying a telescope, you're buying yourself a six inch telescope or something, it'll have one or the other. But yes, these can actually have multiple. And depending, some, some things use a very large instruments you can put off to the side not have to worry about attaching it to the telescope. Smaller instruments could be attached right to the, right to the telescope itself. Good. And then the pattern there is a honeycomb. So instead of making one great big mirror, right? So instead of making one great big piece of tile to tile this room, what do they do? They make a whole bunch of little ones and put them down. Well, it's a lot easier to make a whole bunch of little pieces of mirror you know, make all of these, you know, good size, not, not teeny tiny, but you know, good sized ones. But if you put a whole bunch of those, put 30 some of those together, you can actually make a nice big telescope. Each of these individual ones is easy to make. It's also easy to replace, right? If something goes wrong, 
something needs to be recleaned or polished, you're not taking the whole mirror out, you're only taking out one small section of it. To give you an idea of the size, the image up there, I don't know if you can see in the one on the top, you can see the guy crouching there in the middle. You actually see the guy. So to give you an idea of how big the telescope is, then you're talking about things that are many, you know, meters and meters across. So you can see him sort of sitting there in the, crouching down in the central portion right in here. So to give you an idea, you know, that's probably close to a me, almost a meter that is blocked, that is being blocked out there, that is not being used. Now, and again, as you mentioned, it has, 30, it has 36 pieces. So there's actually 36 of these little honeycomb pieces put together to make one larger mirror. Again, gives us a nice, easy way to be able to observe with a large telescope without having to build a mirror that is 10, 12, 15 meters across as, the, as astronomers are doing, doing now. You'll notice something else that differs from this if you've ever looked at a small telescope. Uh, I've ever had a chance to look through one. There's no solid cover here. It's wide open, which is done for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's a lot cheaper. Right? You don't need to cover it. It takes a lot of metal to cover in this big telescope. You don't actually do that. This is actually wide open. Now, you can't do that with a telescope. If I were to take a telescope like this and put it out here in the, in the yard, over the field over here, that's not going to do much good, right? Because I get all this light coming in from this building and that building and these street lights, and it's going to wipe out our image. The large telescopes like this are put well off away from most light sources, tops of the top of a mountain, and are within a dome that protects them from a lot of the stray light. So they can actually be made lighter, and it's a lot easier just to move this framework. You need a little bit because you need something to hold your mirrors in place. Right? This one is easy to support, but you've got to support the secondary one. And unless you can get a way to get to kind of hover there in space, you know, anti-gravity, it just hovers right in the exact right spot, then great, you could do that. But until we could do that, we've got to have some kind of mechanism to hold it in place that's as light as possible to make it much easier to steer the telescope and blocks as little light from the telescope itself. All right, now how do we get the images? These are probably familiar to you, maybe not by name. Charge-coupled devices are you know, what we use every day now. Right? Within your camera, within your phone, you're taking pictures with your phone, that's what you're using. You're using a charge-coupled device. And it's just an electronic way of taking an image. And it's essentially like a little, almost like a little computer chip that's just photosensitive. And up here, it's just showing you, all it does is count how many times a particle of light hits that individual square. The more you get, here where you get up to eights and nines, you're getting a lot more image. That's going to be a brighter image, so there's a, a star there. Here's another one where you're getting up to sixes and sevens. You're going to get a much better image here. A lot of it, zeros. You're not collecting any photons from it. So a lot of the charge-coupled devices that are being used in uh, you know, cameras, cell phones, etc., are not near the quality. The astronomical ones have to be a much higher quality because you're really trying to observe very, very faint objects and you're trying to count single photons. If you try to take a picture of a galaxy, you know, with your cell phone, it's not going to work too good. It's just not sensitive. It's not sensitive enough to be able to pick up the very low light levels. If you want to take a picture of the sun or the moon, well, you can probably do a little bit better on that because there's a lot more light. But 
They are electronic devices, a lot easier to use than what used to be used, which would have been you know, film, essentially. Although film for the astronomers was not film as you may think about it, right? You had those old strips of film, 35 millimeter film that you'd put into a camera to take images. Well, not really that, but astronomers actually used something very similar to this, a plate, piece of glass that had the photographic emulsion on it. So you'd use a plate that was maybe six inches on a square, and you'd put that in, and that would be what you'd use to take your images. Okay. A lot better, right? If you, if, you, if you got your plates and you got all your images, first of all, you're not done after you've taken all your images because you've got to go and develop them. Right? You've got to develop them to see the images. Not like a digital camera where click, you see right now what it is. And if you happen to trip and drop them, glass doesn't hold up too well to being dropped. So you can lose everything all at once. So for terms of long-term storage, boy, you've got digital storage. You can easily send it to somebody else. Right? You want to share it with another astronomer. You can send the image here. Hey, here, take a look at this. A lot easier in terms of communication with them and in terms of storage and being able to manipulate them. If you want to do enhancements to the image and do computer processing, a lot easier to do it with a digital image than it is with a traditional image. So here's an example of what you might see with computer processing. You might take an image like that on the left hand side. Okay, how many objects are there? Well, I count one, two, three, for sure, but it looks like there might be something else here and maybe here and maybe here. As you work with processing it, you can actually improve the resolution. You can take out some of the atmospheric effects and you can actually find out that instead of just being one big glob there, it's actually a large cluster of stars. You're actually finding a whole bunch of stars there by processing the image and you know, doing other computer effects to it to improve the quality of the image. So you can sort of focus out, you can take out a lot of the atmospheric effects. Atmosphere is really good at blurring out the light from the stars. Really causes a lot of problems for uh, astronomical telescopes here on Earth. Hubble Space Telescope. Get a, get a telescope up above the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, that was the whole idea. This was launched in 1990, so it's been going for 20 three years, just a little over 23 years. It was April of 1990, so it's about 23 years it's been up there. Um, had about originally a 10 to 15 year lifespan that was expected for it, so it's well beyond what it was expected to do and still going. It's kind of done now, not done in that it's not observing, it's still observing and it will continue to observe as long as it can. But you can see the shuttle there, that it was launched through the shuttle. Now part of the problem is that there's no way to fix it. You know, we have no way to get to the, to the space telescope anymore. So if anything else goes wrong with it, there were plenty of uh, servicing missions where the space telescope, where the uh, shuttle would go up to be able to service it, to change instruments or to fix anything that was going wrong. And that would not be, that's not something we can do right now. Yeah. What? The, sh the shuttle fleet was retired. So shuttle fleets have all been taken out of service. We can still, we have rockets that can get up there, but in order to get up and get to the space shuttle where its orbit, we don't have any kind of, it was designed around the space shuttle. So there's really no other instrument that we have, that no way that we have to get up there. Could we launch something up to that orbit? Very easily. But how are you going to get somebody up? You got to get somebody up there, you got to get them back down too. And just the way that, the way our uh, space program is right now, there's nothing, there's no sort of, uh, no sort of spacecraft that can get us up there and service it and bring, and bring back down. So if something major were to happen to it, we'd be pretty much out of luck now.
There's another one that's been planned, the James Webb Telescope. How far that's going to go through budget processes is a, good, is a good question right now. It's a much larger, much larger telescope and would be wonderful for observations, but how far it'll get is a good question. Now, Hubble Space Telescope being up above the atmosphere can see so much more detail. Uh, the images here, this is taken by a telescope on Earth. Not a bad image, really pretty. But when you zoom in, that's image, when you look at just the central portion here, and you can look at that with just Hubble telescope, here on Earth, that's all blurred out. Okay, you can't see the detail. You can't see the detail there. With the Hubble Space Telescope being above the Earth's atmosphere, being above that blurring effect, actually gives us a much better image. So we can see a lot more detail and a lot more, get a lot more higher resolution images of the, of the universe. And again, we've been getting those for 20, over, 20, over 20 years now. We've been able to get a number of images from Hubble and we'll continue to, again, as long as it, as long as it is able to, to keep going. Now, telescopes. I'm going to start on the properties of a telescope here. If I can get through some of this, then we'll pick this up here tomorrow. Then we'll do our lab. A um, couple properties of a telescope that we're going to talk about are what I call the powers of a telescope. What does a telescope do? Well, number one, it has a light gathering power. it gathers light. So the bigger the telescope, the more light it can gather. And the light gathering power depends on the diameter of the telescope squared. Meaning that if you have a one meter telescope and a two meter telescope, it's twice as big but its light gathering power is four times as much. So twice as big a telescope, but it can see objects four times fainter. If you went up to a three meter telescope, three times bigger, nine times the light gathering power. So the bigger telescope, the fainter objects you're going to be able to see. So that's one of the reasons that astronomers want to be able to get larger and larger telescopes is to be able to see fainter objects or in the case of what's shown here, fainter parts of objects. This is the same galaxy on the right hand side taken with a smaller telescope and a somewhat larger telescope. Overall structure is still the same. You can still see the galaxy there but you can start to see much more detail. Here you don't get anything out here. You can't tell how far out that goes. Now you can start to see that there's actually much more structure to that galaxy. Another telescope twice as big would pick up even more detail. So bigger telescope gives, increases your light gathering power and allows you to see fainter and fainter objects. So that's why astronomers are constantly looking at larger telescopes and getting things up that are 10, 12 meters across because they can see fainter and fainter objects. Telescopes Again, get larger. These are some of the ones. We looked at the Keck telescope earlier. The Keck telescope is out in Hawaii. So there's the Keck telescope. It's actually a pair of telescopes here. Two of them that can work in tandem. And there's a number of other telescopes put up there. Hawaii, again, is a nice place to observe 
uh, to do astronomical observations because you've got very high mountains. So it's not just that you've got Hawaii down there, down you know, at the lower levels, but you actually have the very high mountains up above a lot of the atmosphere. So you're looking through less atmosphere and up above a lot of the water. Might be sitting in the middle of the ocean, but you're up high enough in the atmosphere that you're above so much of the water that you actually have all of these. You see a bunch of these are labeled as infrared telescopes. So they can actually observe infrared radiation. Wouldn't be visible from the beaches. You couldn't put one of these telescopes down on the beach in Hawaii and be able to see that. But up in the mountains there, you'd be able to actually observe infrared radiation from them. Telescopes tend to be grouped together. Just for convenience, it's easier to maintain them. You don't need this on one mountain and this one is, here's one in Hawaii and here's one in this state. As we used to have, it used to be, you know, you'd have telescopes where the major universities were. So, you know, Penn State would have its observatory in central Pennsylvania. And the college would have, you know, uh, Harvard would have its in Massachusetts, in Boston, and so on. You know, UCLA would be out in Los Angeles, you'd have each telescope there. Well, first of all, it's way too bright in those areas right now, right? You know, Penn State would have an advantage being a lot darker than the other two, but still, still much brighter than a lot of the areas. Trying to observe in Boston or in Los Angeles would be a very difficult thing right now just because of all the light pollution. So a lot of the telescopes, some telescopes have actually been moved to different mountains in order for ease of observation. Telescopes also down in the southern hemisphere, again, very, the VLT, the Very Large Telescope, actually a set of four telescopes there down in Chile. And again, we're talking about very, very big telescopes to get this great light gathering power in order to be able to find the faintest and faintest objects. That's what astronomers are always studying. You're trying to study you know, the edge, just the edge of what you can see. Things that could not even have been observed 20 years ago, 50 years ago, could not even have been observed. Now we're able to begin to study them. 20 years from now or 50 years from now, that'll probably have improved and we'll be able to see things even fainter as telescope technology continues to improve. All right, let me just finish up. What did I have? Yep, let me do the other one here. Let me give the last two powers for you and then we'll stop for lab. The second one is the resolving power. Also important. The light gathering power tells you how much light you're going to be able to collect, how faint you're going to be able to see. Resolving power tells you how well you're going to be, how much detail you're going to be able to see. How close of objects, how close together can you actually separate two objects? So if you're looking at one, you might see a star there with a smaller telescope. If you turn a bigger telescope to that, a much bigger telescope, you might actually see three individual stars. That's the idea of resolving power. When you have a very small telescope, it doesn't have a very big resolving power. These stars all get blurred together into one big blob. And I can take images of it and spectra of it. I can do all that. But I can't really separate it into its individual components. A bigger telescope will be able to do that. Now, resolving power depends on 1 over the diameter. The smaller the resolving power, the better. Smaller resolving power means you can see littler angles. So smaller is better. And that means the bigger telescopes are going to give you smaller numbers. So 
a one meter telescope if we're looking at resolving power a two meter telescope will have twice the resolving power number will be half the size but the resolving power you'll be able to see twice as fine detail a three meter telescope would have three times the resolving power would be three times smaller when you talk about resolving power you're looking for littler numbers you want to see the littlest numbers that you can possibly get. It means you'll be able to see these things that are separated very closely. Or could you get an even bigger telescope that would actually say there's two little dots there and two dots there. You know, could you find bigger and bigger telescopes? Can you break that down into even more as you get to a larger and larger telescope? The last one isn't actually in your slides but I want to give it to you anyway is the magnifying power. This depends on what's called the focal lengths of, say, your mirror and your eyepiece. How easy is, how long, how big of a distance does it take them to bring the object to a focus? Doesn't depend on the size of your telescope at all. So magnifying power is really the least important of these three. Mainly because if you don't have good light gathering power, you're not going to see faint objects. You're not getting a lot of light. If you magnify something that's very faint, it disappears, right? If I take something with only a little bit of light and I try to expand it and make it ten times bigger, I'm not, I'm not getting ten times more light. It's just going to be that light is spread over a much bigger area and it's going to disappear. If I have a nice blurry image, you know, I can magnify this a hundred times. I get a hundred times bigger blur. Doesn't, doesn't help you a lot. You really want, if you're, looking for, if you're looking for a telescope, the things that you want to look at are these two. Light gathering power and resolving power. Magnifying is important, but it's much easier to change. And it really depends on being able to get these two. On being able to get good, good resolution and being able to get good light gathering power. Magnifying a blurry image gives you a big blurry image. It doesn't give you any more detail. So I'm going to go ahead and stop there and we'll get set up for lab, which I have most of it set up there, and then I'll pick up here um, tomorrow, unless there were questions, other questions on it first. And we'll look a little bit more about the resolution and then go into uh, the rest of the telescopes. No, 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 no. All right. We're ready for the